Hello and welcome to the Week in Review. I'm Michael Curzon. You'll be pleased to hear that I'm back on the podcast after a two-week hiatus. Not necessarily so that you can listen to me, but just so you don't have to listen to Peter Tutakin or uh, Status Peter, as he's been called in the comments over the last week. Quite funnily being called uh, the new guy in the podcast, despite, I have to say, having been here as long as me. Um, it's probably not his last appearance because the, the negative comments are quite amusing, uh, but you're, you're stuck with me for this week. And we've got the other two regulars. Sam, how are you? I'm good, Michael. It's uh, very good to be not hosting this time around. Um, today, today's weather is uh, not not cold, but very cloudy. Yeah, well, we were lucky, I think. We met up yesterday in London. We were we lucky did. that we did, we yeah. did so then, because the despite a bit of spit, uh, mainly from the crowds, the, the weather was very nice. Mm, mm, mm. Had a very nice burger in Newsom. Yes, very nice. Yeah. You can get, by the way, people, a, a burger with peanut butter and banana in it. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. The Elvis special. Mm. I don't know. It should be banned. Uh, <laughs> that could be the next next thing on the, the cancel culture column for you, Luke, that burger. Um, which is a hint of who is also joined by us. That's Luke Perry, how are you? Yes, I'm very well, cousin. I'm very jealous you went to a hipster place in London without me. But, um, yeah... Uh, yeah, I'm, just, I'm, I'm very just, well. We didn't tell you about it until after it happened. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like your haircut. You can't. You're very lucky listening to this that you can't see what we look like. Luke is having to wear a cap because his haircut is that I'm, bad. I'm a bit like a tennis ball at the moment. <laughs> there you are. Um, well, the um, the usual schedule of the podcast was changed slightly this morning. We had three topics as always to talk about. Um, but there's a topic which we feel we can't not mention, at least for a little while, which is, of course, uh, the revelation about Health Secretary Matt Hancock uh, having had an affair of the of the past six months. I think it was in April, was it, um, that this took place with one of his staffers, someone who um, he knew from before she was hired, who now they're questioning the reasons she was hired. Um, so there's questions around that. And obviously, we've got the usual questions of hypocrisy, as we saw with now Ferguson, but what I think is far more interesting since any politician, and let's face it, most humans can be accused of hypocrisy, is that it demonstrates Hancock, since this happened at a time when people uh, were being advised, not by the law, but by the government at least, not to hug each other, grandparents not to hug the grandchildren, people not to go out in public and socialise, that he, along with a lot of the others behind this stuff in the media uh, and even the uh, the people coming up with the uh, scientific overview suggesting that we should lock down, don't actually believe in this stuff. What's your two takes on this? Yes, the, there's a few, a few things. First of all, yes, you're absolutely right. And the, the mask has been slipping a bit recently. We've heard a few um, senior government figures come out and say, you know, thing, words to the effect of it's OK if important people or VIPs do it. We've seen recently the um, thing with the Euros where UEFA has forced the government to back down and allow up to 2,000 VIPs to enter the country without quarantining. Um, but secondly, this goes back to something that we discussed a while back when we were discussing um, Boris Johnson's indiscretions, which is that this is a sign of how far not only we as a country, but also the Conservative Party as supposedly the the um, the the, the last bastion of conservative thinking in the country has fallen, where this story is being treated not as a serious question of the man's moral character, but of, you know, an egg on the face, ha aren't you embarrassed? Mm. Yeah, I think the questioning is more about whether he should 
it, it, it's sort of a quick fire should he lose his job rather than sort of looking more deeply at what's happened and and as i said questioning for example whether or not hancock actually believes in these measures it's just another link in, in a long unbroken chain not just with um the moral nature of the tory party or lack thereof but also from um like from 2020 March onwards and where there've been repeated violations of COVID restriction from the people who are writing and voting for these laws. We haven't just seen that in the UK. We've, we've seen it worldwide. Yeah. So Hancock, Hancock isn't just a quiet supporter. He's, he's right. one of the, the, the main pushers of this thing. Um, yet clearly has no, no regard for the, the laws he's creating himself. It just seems yes. very strange. But I don't think people will see that angle. I think it's, as, as Sam said, it's going to be very much a oh, egg on his face moment rather than, hang on a minute, Mr. Hancock, do you believe that the lockdown measures you've enforced on us all when you've told us not to go abroad, not to be able to go to work, not to hug our family, not to even see our family, do you believe that these measures were right or were they introduced for some other reason? That won't be asked. And also, it will fly it, around the media for about a week. The, the, the jokes will fly around the internet and, oh my God, are there some corkers already? But um, yes, it will just be passed under the rug. Yes, his uh, his 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 name lends itself to uh, humour here. Um, but also, if if this is what makes Hancock, if this is what pushes him out of government, that's but that's not good too either. You know, this is you know you got pushed out for a adultery scandal and not for pushing actively cataclysmic policies uh, on mm -hmm. the British people. Yes, very true. It's sort of a it blankets over all the area errors that have taken place over the past year. In terms of his politics, it could actually be a blessing for Hancock in that all of his failures will be forgotten because people will say he, he left government over personal disgrace uh, mm -hmm. rather than rather than by uh, disgraceful policies. But, I mean, it's hard to imagine him being forced out for this, especially by the Prime Minister after his own track record. I mean, it would be a bit rich. Uh, speaking of hypocrisy, for for Boris Johnson to say, uh, Mr. Hancock, you've overstepped the mark here. You must leave. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I can't see that happening. And he probably will stay, which, as you just said, is probably a good thing in that, you know, it might it might lead the questioning of his of his exit in a few years time uh, onto proper questions of lockdown rather than the, the also important question of moral indecency. Mm -hmm. Johnson would sack him for not having enough affairs. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> this is yeah. a quagmire, are well, if the, if the Sun's front page was them having a cuddle and a smooch, I'd hate to see what, what's what's pictured on page three. Maybe Boris would be more approving thereof. But um, I, I think we'll move on from the story because it's it's something that's broke only a few hours ago, and there's there's little else to say other than what we've said a million times with Noel Ferguson, with uh, Kate Burley from from uh, from Sky News, and a host of others, especially in the media. Um, and go instead to the latest story on travel. Uh, which is my story this week, and we'll, we'll lead on as well onto the UEFA uh, story shortly after. But uh, two nights ago, the travel green list set up by the government, which allows people to, to go to different countries without having to quarantine when they get back, was updated. A handful of countries were added to the green list, and this was seen as, uh, was advertised, I should say, as a sort of victory uh, for the people created by the government. But the, the travel industry is quite right in saying that it doesn't go far enough. And I think the most important point about this is that all but one of the new countries on the green list have also been added to a green watch list, which means, in the government's word, they are, quote, at risk 
uh, of being demoted back, forced back, pushed back onto the ambulance at any time. And uh, the, the transport secretary, Grant Shapps, was on Sky News this morning, on uh, Friday morning, and said, yeah, this could happen at any time, uh, and refused himself to say uh, whether or not he would book a holiday this year, which I think is quite telling. Well, well, that's just um, reminiscent of the old, isn't it? Countries are added to the green list. People rush to book a holiday. They've been trapped inside for every year. Halfway through their trip, the government announcement comes up and to announce that this nation will be placed on amber, on red or whatever. Passengers returning after this date, which is not, it's not very long. It's about three, four days. We'll have to, again, self-isolate and... Um, pay however dubious amounts of money for um, a hotel stay and covid tests yep. so i mean this doesn't give the, the the tourist industry any benefits it's just a sort of carrot dangling from a piece of string which you, <laughs> which they can never be secure whether they can hold it or not just quickly before you come in sam i think it actually makes it worse for the travel industry in that before the countries were on the amber list and people knew if you go to that country, you're going to have to quarantine. That was the end of the story. And so many people didn't book holidays. A lot of travel firms said there's no point us booking them for you. Now it's in a more confusing situation because people, as I say, because the media is spinning this as a success, the main story is new countries added to green list. The, the green watch list is hidden halfway down the articles usually whereas it should actually be the headline. Um, so people think, right, we can go on holiday now to these places because they're on the green list. And they go and book their holiday and they go there. Um, and then all of a sudden it's put back onto the amber list uh, and the people are having to struggle back. Um, or even if they don't get there, they, they book a holiday and then it goes onto the amber list and they try and cancel the holiday. The travel firms have then got all the difficulty of doing the insurance cases, all the refunding, which might or might not be possible, rescheduling flights. It's a massive difficulty. And that's, that's why some uh, travel companies, such as On The Beach, has already said, we're not taking any more bookings for July and August. There's no point. There's no certainty around this. We're risking losing a lot of money and upsetting a lot of people here. We're just not going to bother. Hmm. And as well as that, I mean, even with, you know, um, the, 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 the traffic light model, um, I don't know about you guys or even how that um, would speak for the rest of the country, but I don't really feel like traveling at the moment, you know, just because just I, I don't want to put up with all the ball ache of, of um, the logistical nightmare of, of uh, going abroad. Yeah, it's, well, it's not I, just I, going there; it's what, what to do whilst there. I mean, yeah. these nations still have COVID restrictions. In Spain, you still have to wear a mask outside in thirty-six degree heat. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand why. It isn't worth it. Just go to just go go to Devon. Go to, go 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 somewhere nice in England. Yeah, I, it'll it'll be a very it'll be, it'll be a while before I travel abroad. Not for safety concerns, obviously, but just because you, you, as I said, Luke, you go, you go over there, you're still sort of, still like, you know, at the whim of whatever nonsensical rules that, that they put in place. The, the idea of lockdown or curfew or just complete quarantine is hanging over your head like, like the sword of Damocles. It's just too much stress. It isn't worth it. Like a holiday is supposed to be you go over there and you forget what your life is for a while. Yeah. But, uh, um, but, but the nightmare of, of COVID restrictions is so ubiquitous that you can't escape it wherever you go so you, you may as well just save your money and stay at home 
Exactly. Well, holidays cost a lot of money. It takes a lot of preparation. You've got to make sure everyone's able to go at the same time. Um, you, you take a lot. It's a lot, quite stressful booking the flights, making sure everything's right, the hotels, making sure you've got travel to these places. And as you say, it's a chance to have a break. You don't do work when you're on holiday. You relax. And if you have to go on holiday and the first thing you do as you walk out the airport is have some chat pointing at you saying, put on your mask. You, uh, and, and every attraction you go to, you've got to wear a mask, you've got to shuffle slowly into restaurants um, and distance from each other and all this. There's no way uh, I'm going to be doing this at this point, certainly not. Um, it's, it's much better to travel in country at this point, I think, which for a lot of people is a shame. We've had, we've had 15 months of this. But, you know, people have different ways of having breaks. Some people are happy travelling uh, within the country or just going to the park every day, but other people like as their form of break every year to go abroad. And that's perfectly acceptable. They're, they're being denied that right. Mm. And there's something as well, uh, Sam, which, which we discussed, which just shows how ridiculous this all is uh, on the, the latest What's Going On, which was recorded just before the, the travel update, but it's just as, just as uh, important now, um, which is the recent finding that only one in 200 people returning from ambulance countries in recent months have tested positive now of course tested positive doesn't necessarily mean that they were positive for covid but even if we take that as red fine one in 200 people from the ambulance countries testing positive and it's for this that we're ruining the travel industry the the holiday industries abroad as well which are crying out for people to come back the restaurants and the bars which rely on tourists and then also the, the livelihoods of tourists who themselves uh find traveling abroad to be an integral part of their lives for one in 200 people testing positive mm-hmm. yeah and it's every experiment done has pointed towards low rates of transmission you know a few months ago we saw massive raves in liverpool or festivals going on with full crowds or royal ascot with full crowds and you know the the rates of infection were very low um the 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 numbers gathered from these these trial events tell us that we can reopen without you know dire consequences but if one one or two hundred um yet you know there's still no change to, to the government policy it's you know the the whole date on dates thing has been proven to be just just cod swallop yeah a lie yeah, yeah. It's, it's a small statistic for many I mean, one in 200 is coupled with a very low death rate, barely five, 10 a day. But all, all the government is really concerned about, I know we, we flogged this point to absolute death, is just case numbers, despite them not correlating to hospitalizations and fatalities. Yeah. And the government can say, well, if one person comes in from, say, Portugal, they can infect another who infects another who infects another. But again, there's the utopian task of eradicating COVID for good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Luke, we're going to your story, which is that whilst, you know, normal Brits are having these great difficulties of, of being able to travel abroad, despite the need to do so, uh, other people are being given a free pass, essentially, sort of a one rule for us, one for them. And we're, we're talking about UEFA officials here. So what's the story on that? So, yeah, well, well rather than it really being one rule for us, one rule for them. It, it, it should properly be termed as many rules for us and no rules for them. <laughs> so, um, so, so, so-called VIP UEFA officials, about 2,500 of them, may be allowed to enter the country to watch the final games of the Euro tournament without having to quarantine and self-isolate. Now, um, I, 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 unless you, you two are secretly UEFA officials, the, the rules for people like us are having to hunker down in a hotel for 10 days if we've been to an amber or a red list country at our expense. 
Mm. Now, of course, th this is a clear violation of the rule of law, which we have covered once again in this episode and many more before it. And it just shows that the elite can flout COVID laws at a whim. And the government has rather, rather bravely defended the move by claiming that the UEFA officials will face tough restrictions while in Britain, or as the media minister, John Whittingdale, put it, they come in to attend a match and go away again. But that sort of neglects the fact that the British people currently are still living under tough restrictions. And the point about not being able to attend your child's sports day has been floated around quite a lot and for good reason. And the, 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 um, the second point is that um, it just shows how quickly the law can change. And this was sort of reminiscent of an anti-lockdown protest held by um, brother of Jeremy Piers Corbyn, where the law was literally changed the night before to, to effectively render his protest illegal. Yeah. So um, I, I think James Black wrote, wrote a piece on this. Yeah, it just shows how... Um, how quickly established precedent, however brief this precedent is, can just be completely upended when the um, the elite face a um, obstacle in their lives, and th mm. this is another example of this. It reminds me of the the G seven, which I think again demonstrates the people who are making these rules uh, sort of hypocrisy on all of this, which is that they they all fly in their private jets or whatever it is they go over on uh, to this summit in Cornwall and talk about the need for us all to adhere to stricter rules around making climate change more, well, decreasing climate change, I should say. Um, it's And you see the same with celebrities all the time, going to protests, <laughs> joining from the other side of the world in a private jet. And it, it seems as though they actually don't realise just how ludicrous this is. I actually don't think they do sometimes. They are sort of so blind to public opinion on these sorts of things. They have, yeah, they have no self-awareness. Yeah, that's the word, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> well, well, we can continue banging on about UEFA, who effectively, who effectively held the government to ransom over the Britain hosting part of the Euro tournament. They they said that um, you must allow our VIPs, our top dogs, into your country without these restrictions. Otherwise, Britain does not host part of this important tournament. Hmm. And hmm. yeah, and and you know the government pr probably won't even lift the restrictions before that point anyway you know like they they could justify it by saying oh listen the country's reopened now it's fine we can do this but they're, they're, they're literally they're going to make an exception for the european football establishment at the expense of people who as we said still can't go about their lives in, in full freedom yeah i've got to say here i'm and i'm no fan of football as <laughs> listeners might know um some of the press has been putting out negative stories about UEFA on this, but I actually think what UEFA said is quite right, that, you know, our officials are not isolating for this time, they're not self-isolating or quarantining, it's ridiculous, if you don't let, let us not do this, we'll go somewhere else. Good on them. What's wrong is uh, not even that the government bent to that pressure, it's that the government isn't doing that for everybody, or that other industries aren't standing up. Every industry should be saying, look, I'm not uh, not opening my shop. The pubs should be saying we're not distancing because a quarter of pubs still aren't able to open and those which are open are taking much smaller profits and we're already struggling to survive. They should be standing up and saying no more of this. It's nonsense. Mm. I mean, June 21st itself was a nonsense state. That was so late on in the process and should have been far earlier. But we at least now have a concrete reason. Um, and I think a lot of people actually agreed that 21st should have been the ending day and still do think that. We should say now, June 21st has passed. As we said on some other episodes, we're not going to be doing all the masking and the distancing ourselves. A lot of us haven't been for a while anyway. 
but the businesses should be saying this too because it's for their own survival at the end of the day mm. Mm. yeah i mean and and uh, as a slight caveat i mean i i now actively avoid pubs that i know are very stringent with the rules mm. yeah so um so i think uh, there i think and i think there are many more like me so i think that those places are gonna start suffering soon it was like a boycott well, it's 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 a it's an indirect boycott. It's, it's more a preference of places that aren't, um, you know, insane. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, well, I think on that, having talked about travel for a bit, we'll move on to the last story, which is your Sam this week. You're going to talk to us about Britain's declining influence in terms of military, which is a a jolly story if ever there was one. Yes. Well. Um... As um, as most of us will know, in 2014, um, the Russian Federation uh, annexed part of Ukraine, the Crimean Peninsula. Uh, with that comes um, a stretch of uh, sea space, which um, the uh, Royal Navy, the HMS Defender, um, passed through said sea space um, on a route from uh, Odessa in Ukraine to Georgia. Um, during that uh, fabled voyage, um, there were communications between the Russian military and the Royal Navy, um, which c c culminated in the Russians firing several warning shots at the British. Um, British promptly uh, retreated from the from uh, Russian waters or Russian waters in quotes, and um, it's it's <clears throat> again the, the 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 press aren't willing to be completely honest about what this really is, which is. Britain being successfully faced down by a supposedly hostile power. I'm not, I'm not sure about that, but um, and it just shows, you know, um, it's the latest in a long line of events that show that from the end of the Second World War, Britain's military military um, standing has 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 diminished further and further. I mean, this is a process that really started with the Suez Crisis, in yeah. which um, Britain was just bullied into retreat by not only the Americans, but the, but the uh, Soviets too. And now, uh, what, uh, 60 years later? Mm. It's, uh, back on again. It must be worrying for the um, Eastern European nations who are a little scared of Russia because they rely on so-called military powers like Britain for their security. Mm. We have troops in Estonia right now. and wonder what they thought after seeing that... Um, absolute humiliation mm -hmm. yes and, and you know uh, relations between the us and uh, sorry, the, uh, relations between the uk and russia are uh, getting worse and worse i mean you know there's been a, a number of high profile incidences of, of the russian states um carrying out uh, assassinations or attempted assassinations on uk soil um the most famous one recently was um in Salisbury in 2018, where uh, Novichok was was used um, on 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 British soil, um, but also the British officials have have acknowledged that they were completely taken surprised by the the speed of the Russian reaction. This is um, you know a country which is always is, is always very eager to defend itself um, through the uh, not necessarily mil military action, but the the uh, implication of military action as well um and as well as well i mean the the um the, the british ambassador to moscow has been summoned to the kremlin so we'll um th this story is still emerging so we'll, we'll see, see what happens but it's looking like the uk is just going to completely back down here and not not um not kick the bear as it were yeah well i think it's telling not only uh 
sort of our response to what Russia did, but also the fact that Russia felt comfortable doing that to Britain is is telling in itself of our our standing uh, and the way we're viewed uh, militarily and in other forms, just in terms of the respect of the countries has for us across the country. Um, and I think a lot of people would say that this is largely down to us having left the EU um, and having a, a lower world standing as a result of that. But I think the truth of it, as you said, Sam, is that this started a very long time ago uh, before the EU even existed. Um, and, and, and it's culminating now, not because of our exit, but just because of mistakes we have made and the fact um, that through a series of decades, we've become a much weaker country, that's both domestically and internationally. Uh, and, and I think other countries will be able to feel more and more confident that they can agitate against us uh, to greater extent. So the truth of it is that not only that we won't respond, but often that we can't respond as well as we can do um, to assert our authority, which is, is wanting. There was there was a time when Britain's interests were protected in in their entirety by the Royal Navy. Hmm. Um, now uh, funding cuts, vessel cuts, uh, lack of desire to modernise, to really invest in the armed forces, um, particularly the 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 navy, which as I was saying is is really was the the jewel of the crown of the of the uh, British military. Um, so it's it's sad but unsurprising to see how far that's fallen now. Yeah. And Luke, you've written uh, today online on Friday about how um, the problem uh, around COVID won't probably come until lockdown ends. And I think we can say the same here. We, you know, we've talked about funding cuts, Sam. What position are we going to be in in terms of funding when uh, the economy has been blasted as much as it has, when the furlough scheme ends and we've got millions unemployed and the NHS is in desperate need of uh, funding due to immense backlogs caused by lockdown and fear of people going in and catching COVID? Well, I can imagine the government will just borrow more money and uh, <laughs> kick the can down the road. <laughs> the military will take even more of a backseat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, on that, we'll, uh, I think we'll go on to the miscellaneous topics. Luke, you're going to lead us on this one today. Uh, yes, um, I, th I think a few months ago, I, I, I wrote a, um, one of my op-eds on the, the cancelled Mumford & Sons banjo player, who was sort of forced out the band for reading a, um, a book by Andy No, who, who was the author of Unmasked, about a book about exposing a uh, street militia called Antifa that has been causing riot across the United States. Mm. And um, so he immediately apologises. He steps away from the band because everyone's now stepping away. And uh, But he has since wrote a, um, a more uh, insightful piece about his side of the story. And his side of the story, it, it sort of reveals that the world, the Western world is on the verge of becoming a two-tier society because he says that he had to leave the band to avoid his personal opinions ruining the um, the image of, of the band itself. Mm. So, um, I mean, his music career is effectively dead. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, he, he, he mentioned that he was, he was going to be taking up work with his, uh, I believe, his side project as well. But, um, I mean... It, yeah, I mean, this is what happened. You know, he um, he he acknowledged that not only was it the the book itself that got him in hot water, but also his apology did nothing to assuage that. His apology almost um, 
it was almost him admitting to any sort of wrongdoing, which which he thankfully, I mean, very often when, when celebrities get caught with this sort of thing, they, they're so eager to please the, the, the mob that they'll just completely, you know, attack whoever they were. Um, so he, he, he acknowledged that his, his apology wasn't... Um, almost wasn't genuine because he didn't really feel like he was apologizing for anything apart from liking a book that exposed political extremists. Um, a couple of quotes from uh, from the likes of Churchill and Solzhenitsyn in there as well. Mm. Certainly well well read. Maybe we'll contact him and get him to write for Bourne book. <laughs> Maybe. I don't see why not. So, I mean, who knows what's what his his life will, will be after this now, but it, it just shows that everyone's apology is fake. No one's opinion changes because they've been hounded out of their profession by the mob. And um, now now that he's gone, he's just proved an example that these things can keep happening, and they keep happening every week. Well, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I was very very happy that he had the um the the, the bravery to sort of stand up for himself, even if it meant leaving the band. Yeah. On that uh, slightly cheery note, then or not, uh, we'll we'll end this week in review. And thanks again for listening. And we'll be joining you next week. Cheers. <laughs>